Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, we're kicking off a brand new series on the fruit of the Spirit. I know, y'all, I know it sounds a little bit Sunday school, but the truth is, if you're like me, you've probably been subject to some misinterpretation and misapplication of this famous passage in Galatians. We tend to think of the fruit of the Spirit as a list of good Christian virtues to adopt as moral Christian living, instead of seeing it as our invitation to be indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and to be made more like Him as a result. So in this series, we hope to grow in our understanding of how the Spirit helps us mirror the character of God. We plan to cover each one of these fruits in a way that helps us see that God's commands aren't about behavioral modification, but that they're really an invitation to mirror the character of God by the help of the Spirit. This passage, as Amy so beautifully lays out in the introductory episode, summarizes so much of true gospel living. Amy describes it beautifully when she says, We want to read these verses as an invitation to lean into what it means to live our lives as gospel Christians, to be reminded that because of Christ's sanctifying work on the cross, because of the power of His resurrection, the door has been opened to us to accept a life of righteousness in Christ through faith. So as we accept Christ's invitation of grace by placing our faith exclusively in Christ, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit in us that is going to bear the fruit of righteousness. And the fruit of that righteousness, that righteousness that we already have because Christ has positionally made us righteous, the fruit of that righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit living in us. Is your mind blown yet? If not, hang in there because it's about to be if you're like me. So you'll know a little bit about our guest. Amy Gannett is a Bible teacher and writer with a passion for good theology and exegetical Bible study. She got her BA in Biblical Exposition and Biblical Studies from Moody Bible Institute and her Master's of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. She teaches a Bible study through her website and creates theology training tools for kids through Tiny Theologians. Amy and her husband, Austin, are currently church planters in Eastern North Carolina. Now, on to my conversation with Amy on the Fruit of the Spirit. Amy Gannett, welcome back to the Journey Women podcast. This is just so fun, Hunter. I love talking to you. So this is just already so much fun for me. Yeah, my only fear is that I'm going to be way too comfortable because we are, in fact, real life friends. And so we had to rein it in before we started recording this call. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know you, Amy, you have been on the Journey Women podcast in the past. You are currently living. Are you guys in North Carolina? 
We are. Mm -hmm. We're in Greenville, North Carolina. Greenville, North Carolina, church planting uh, with your husband, Austin. That is right. Yep. We just started the process of church planting. So we are in the brand new process in the early stages of relocating and meeting with our core team. So we're a little, little baby church, but we're having so much fun doing it. Oh, it's so wonderful. And you're just one of my favorite theologians. Truly, you've answered so many of my questions along the way. And through that, we've built a friendship both through the internet and then offline. So I'm really grateful for you. Thanks for just being kind of a sounding board for the podcast as a whole. It's so fun to watch you engage online with the work that you do through Rooted Studies and through the Tiny Theologians. And then you do a lot of speaking and other things, but I'd love for the listeners just to hear from you a little bit more about who you are and what you do if they didn't catch that first episode. So what did I miss? Well, you kind of covered the three main parts of my calling, the three main things that take up most of my time and energy in the very best way. The three things that I feel most called to in this season is church planting alongside Austin. We're planting in Greenville, North Carolina, Trinity Church, Greenville, and we're in the super early stages of that. And so we have been asking the Lord to bring along um, 10 households of mature believers who will join us in this calling of starting a new church in Greenville for the glory of God and the good of the city. And the Lord has done that. And so throughout the summer, we've been meeting with this little core team and studying the book of Acts and asking the question of what does it mean to be a church? And it's just been so fun to watch this small group grow and really see the need for uh, another church that's going to preach the gospel in Greenville in the company of other great churches that are doing the same. So um, that's the primary thing that takes up my nine to five. That's the main mm-hmm. that Austin and I have on our lives. Um, but the other two things um, you also mentioned being a Bible teacher and a writer. I love teaching the Bible. <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. I love teaching theology. I love talking to people about the word of God. And so through the Root at Home, I write a couple of these. Um, we actually have one that you got to collaborate with me on, which was so fun coming out here in just a few weeks, a course on discipleship um, called Daily Disciple Making. So that has been a really fun project for me. And then Tiny Theologians is the third one. Tiny Theologians is just a really fun way for me to play out these theological conversations that I'm having with women in the local church and say, how can we teach this to the youngest generation? So those Mm -hmm. are the main things my life has in them. Those are the three main callings that God's placed on my life in this season of life. And it is honestly just such a joy to be a part of what God's doing in these three different realms. Well, I first interfaced with you through the Tiny Theologians in your very first episode. It's called Why Women Need Theology. And we talked about that, your heart behind creating resources that will both equip moms to teach their children theology and also, along the way, help mothers be able to engage in learning and to study things theologically. Because like you mentioned, I know from my experience as a mom, I will be so much more quick to invest time in training and equipping my kids than I will in myself. And so it's been such a gift to me. And one of the resources that you recently put out through the Tiny Theologians are your Fruit of the Spirit cards. And it actually sparked an idea in me. And and I'd love to hear kind of your heart behind those. But today we're launching into an entire series on the Fruit of the Spirit. Really, you're my inspiration. (laughs) 
I don't know if you know that Chicago song, but it's one of my favorites. You're the inspiration. Nobody knows that song. But I think it'd be most appropriate for us to start with the scripture and to talk about that passage in Galatians. What is the context of that famous passage? Can you kind of lay that out for us? Yeah, I think this passage, just like you said, we so easily and conveniently focus on 22 and 23, lay out the fruit of the Spirit. We so easily camp there. And that's not a bad thing. I think there's a lot of good to say, let's memorize this as a family. Let's have kids memorize these verses. Let's dwell on these passages ourselves. So I think that's a really good thing. But what we miss is the context of the chapter and the context of the book as a whole. So Let's zoom out as far as the book for a second, because that is going to tell us a lot about the chapter's context. So we often think about Paul's letters to the different churches, you know, the Philippian church, the Galatian church, the the church in Ephesus, the churches in Thessalonica, all of these different churches. We often think of them rightly. We rightly think about them as explanations of how to live out this new faith in Christ, because Paul is traveling as a new gospel convert and preacher, and he's traveling to these different cities and towns where the gospel has not yet reached. And he's preaching the gospel to them. And as they accept Christ as their savior, they are saying, what now? And Paul is helping them learn what it looks like to live a life according to the gospel of Christ, as opposed to whatever culture they're coming from. So we need to read the letters in the proper light, depending on what background they're coming from shows sort of Paul's different emphases on how their gospel should transform their lives. So in the book of Galatians in particular, we find ourselves looking at a group of Jewish converts, those who had been very loyal to the Jewish faith. Maybe they were even Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, as Paul was a Pharisee, teaching the law and preaching at one point that Christ was not the Messiah, that they were still waiting for the Messiah. But as Paul proclaims Christ and the good news of the gospel, they come to know the Lord. And so Paul is writing them a letter now to encourage and exhort them in following the ways of Christ. One of the things that we see throughout the letter to the Galatian church is that after Paul left, Paul comes, he preaches the gospel, he starts this little church. Um, It's easy for me to think of this, actually, because we are church planters. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to, you know, conceptualize this because we're church planters. That's what Paul did. He planted churches, then he moved on and planted another church. Paul comes and plants this church, and then he moves on, and he hears news that there is a group that has come in to this little church and is teaching the Galatian believers that they also have to follow the law. So it's a group of Jewish believers that are coming in and saying, actually, you can have Christ, but you also have to follow all of these ways of the Old Testament law. So including things like if you if you're a Gentile previously, you need to be circumcised and um, you need to follow these kosher laws for dietary restrictions and those sorts of things. So here's Paul hearing word that the church has embraced that he knows that they've embraced the gospel, but hearing word that the church has been confused by this group of teachers telling them you need to also follow the law for the sake of your own righteousness. And Paul is writing them a letter to tell them, remind them of the grace of the gospel, that it's not according to the things we do in the flesh, but it's according to the spirit of God. So that's the context of this really famous passage. 
Paul specifically in chapter five wants to lay out these two distinctions. He's saying, if you were to live your life according to the flesh, this is what it would look like. Uh But because you've embraced the gospel, you can live your life according to the power of the spirit. God himself dwells in you. You're not like the Jewish tradition. You're not going to the temple to seek God's favor. God himself dwells in you by the spirit. So he's comparing and contrasting. What does life look like according to the flesh? If you listen to these false teachers and try to do things in in your flesh for the sake of your own righteousness, here's what it's going to look like. But if you live your life according to the gospel and embrace the power of the spirit in your life to make you more like Christ, this is what it's going to look like. So we see this comparison and contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And it's in that context that Paul gives us the fruit of the spirit. What does it look like to walk in the spirit? It looks like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, etc. So that is what it looks like to walk in the spirit. Well, I find this so interesting because, at least in my own life, I've memorized, like you mentioned, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. (laughs) Nobody ever mentions the in the spirit part. And it's so interesting (laughs) to me how I got all those little attributes that I'm fixated on. And I'm not fixated on like relying on the spirit to produce those things in me. And so it's interesting how you're saying we're contrasting, like walking in the flesh, and yet I am walking in the flesh trying to appropriate these fruits of the Spirit to myself, you know, without the power of the Spirit and completely nixing Him out of the process. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. So I don't know, what's the importance of this passage for us as believers? Why has it been so fixated on? And how would you encourage us to actually read the passage on the fruit of the Spirit? Well, really, the passage on the fruit of the Spirit in its context is a passage that is a summary of gospel living and gospel power. Paul wants to remind these believers that they do not have to do works according to the flesh anymore. It's no longer about the things that they do in their own efforts to produce righteousness that makes them right before God. It is the Spirit of God that is going to do that work in their life because they've been justified by the righteousness of Christ. And so we want to read these verses as an invitation to lean into what it means to live our lives as gospel Christians, to be reminded that because of Christ's sanctifying work on the cross, because of the power of his resurrection, the door has been opened to us to accept a life of righteousness in Christ through faith. So as we accept Christ's invitation of grace by placing our faith exclusively in Christ, 
we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that is going to bear the fruit of righteousness. And the fruit of that righteousness, that righteousness that we already have because Christ has positionally made us righteous, the fruit of that righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit living in us. So I don't know about you, but when Austin and I got married, there were a lot of things about my life that changed in unseen ways, I would say. You know, my last name changed. I knew that would. My driver's license, you know, my name there changed. My address changed. My bank account was merged with his. You know, those things changed in a very visible sense. But it wasn't until three or four years later that I realized all the unseen ways that my life changed. I really capitulated to a lot of Austin's schedule and habits, and he absorbed many of mine. You know, now we'll be telling a joke in public and realize, oh, we only think this is funny because this is our sense of humor. Like we've adopted the same sense of humor. And so not always funny to other people because we have become so much more like each other as we live together. And I think that's a really small example, but gives us a picture of what it looks like in this new relationship with Christ as we live life in the spirit. He's going to make us like himself. It's easy for us to think about this fruit of the spirit in a way that is abstracted from thinking of the spirit as being the spirit of Christ. This is the spirit of God. It's not, you know, Mm. when we talk about Trinitarian theology, it's easy for us to accidentally put the Trinity, the members of the Trinity in this hierarchy. And we often put the spirit at the bottom Mm -hmm. because the spirit is like the consolation prize of the Christian life. But Jesus says this very specifically to his disciples when he's ascending into heaven, they're grieving, losing him. And he says, no, it's better that I go away because I will send the spirit. I'm going to send you a comforter, a counselor, a helper Mm. to be with you. And he says it's better that he go, that he return to heaven Mm. um, because the spirit will indwell believers. And so we should approach this passage as really being a passage that summarizes so much of gospel living. It's our invitation to be indwelt by the spirit of Christ and made more like him as a result. This is the power of the gospel put in a really um, concise little passage for us. And I think Mm. is a really beautiful thing. Oh, that makes me so excited. And I want so much to remember that. And like I mentioned, I think a lot of this for me is kind of unlearning some of the things that I've um, either just misread, misapplied, like misunderstood, bad theology, all of these things. Can you kind of lay that out for us? Like, how have you seen the passage wrongly understood? Sometimes I think it's helpful just to identify those things so that we can, I don't know, weed them out. (laughs) (laughs) So how have you seen the passage wrongly understood and applied or maybe even taught? I think there's two things that primarily come to mind. And they both have to do with the idea of where, what the fruit of the spirit are. So one distinction we accidentally make is talking about this passage as if it's multiple fruits of the spirit, Mm -hmm. as if it's like, we're getting a fruit basket of Christ likeness. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we we can think about these different attributes as if we kind of talk about them, like we would talk about spiritual gifts. Like you have one and I have another and Sally down the road has a third, but that is not how the text talks about them. They use this word for fruit really singularly. It's the fruit of the spirit because think about it like a cluster of grapes as opposed to like a basket of oranges Mm -hmm. and apples and bananas. It's, you know, the fruit of the spirit because the spirit of Christ abides in us. 
the spirit is going to bear singular fruit in our life, fruit of righteousness. What's that going to look like? All of these different things. So I think we miss something and we miss out on something when we think about it as if it's multiple fruits and I'm supposed to adopt one or I'm going to work on gentleness today because that is one that I feel like I really should improve in. We sort of think about them more like spiritual gifts as if we just adopt one or two as, you know, instead of viewing them as being the thing, the singular thing that the spirit is bearing in our lives. Because if we summarize all of these attributes in one word, it's Christ likeness. And the Mm -hmm. spirit is Mm -hmm. planting the seed and nurturing the soil and watering it and causing it to grow in our own lives. And that is Christ likeness. That is the goal of the spirit in our life is to seal us into the day of redemption and bear the fruit of the spirit of Christ-likeness in our lives. So that's the first way. I think the other way that I've seen this um, misapplied, and I've seen this in my own life misapplied, it's that we think about these as being moral virtues um, of Christian living. And so we sort of judge behavior by them. So whether we look at somebody and say, you know, I don't know if they have a personal walk with Christ, but they live a really good moral life. Mm -hmm. You know, they do all of these things. They're gentle and loving and kind, and they are faithful and, you know, they have self-control. So we sort of judge these as just like, quote, good Christian virtues, as if it's sort of like, adopting a way of living without having the spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also sometimes look at unbelievers and we expect this of them. We expect this even of brand new believers, this instant transformation. And we forget that it's the fruit. So it's something that takes time and takes the nurture of God to be born in our lives and the fruit of the spirit. So somebody who does not have the spirit cannot genuinely display these in a way that points to Christ likeness. They may have modified their behavior. They may have learned not to speak in rage, but to instead speak in gentleness, but they won't have fruit that bears witness to Christ likeness unless they have the spirit. So sometimes we forget the origin and we sort of misapply it as a result. Mm-hmm. But what about you? How have you seen this? Have you seen this mistaught or misapplied? I've definitely experienced like the moralism and that's that's what I was kind of alluding to at the beginning of the conversation. And then, yeah, I don't know if this is misapplication. I'd be very interested to hear your take on this. But sometimes I'm just trying so hard uh, to emulate these things. And it's just funny, like you said, like I can be forcing myself into being gentle and a situation where it's like, man, you know, and yes, I, I want to respond gently, like, especially with my kids and things. I've been thinking about uh, the verse in Proverbs a lot that says, like, it's your glory to overlook an offense, you know? So part of it is that I'm straining and trying and participating with the Spirit. But then also, like, here's another example, like with Brooks, we've been married for eight years. This is, I'm just, this is, uh, sometimes I get in this closet and I feel like, man, I just am sitting in a confessional booth and I, I need to really <laughs> stop this practice. But here I am again. But, you know, for eight years, it has bothered me that Brooks will have a glass of something right before bed and like leave it in the sink. And the other day, you know what? This was amazing, Amy. For eight years, I have always thought, man, you know, I really wish he would put his glass into the dishwasher. And we've talked about it before. And it's just something, it's a pattern. It's a habit that, you know, we have gotten into. I'm going to have to ask Brooks if I can air this. Um, (laughs) but, But the other day, his glass was in the sink. And Amy, I had no negative thought. I put the glass into the dishwasher. And I thought something like, 
It is a joy to serve him. And it took me aback because I have not had that thought in eight years. It wasn't something that I was striving to produce in myself. And I stepped back and I said, bless the Lord. The spirit is at work within me (laughs) because this is eight years in the making of really, really being irked by this whole situation about the dish being left in the sink instead of being put into the dishwasher. And here the spirit has done a work in my heart in which now I'm able to see this as an opportunity for service. So it's just interesting. Like, where is that tension of like, yes, these are things that we want to try and emulate. And yet this is also like, totally a work of the spirit. Like we can try really, really hard, but like he is the one who's producing these things in us. That's a question. And I'm, I'm stating it as a statement. I'm seeking to understand. Do you have anything to offer me there? Well, I actually think you bring up something that's really interesting in the context of this passage, um, your example in particular. So I think the context kind of helps us understand what that looks like as we play it out in our daily lives, like you did with the glass in the sink. I think that that's a great example of some of the contextual truths. So like I said, you know, some false teachers had come in insisting that Jewish believers maintain the Old Testament law and Gentile converts, you know, capitulate to the Old Testament law. Right. And Paul in throughout chapter five is basically saying that's righteousness according to the flesh. Like you need righteousness according to the spirit. So live life in the spirit. And one of the things that he talks about then is he's emphasizing to the believers that they have freedom in Christ, freedom from the Torah, from the law, from the righteous regulations that the law required. He's saying Christ has fulfilled those. So you have freedom from that. And then he sort of steps aside from confronting these false teachers and that sort of thing. He sort of steps aside and says, now, like, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. <laughs> You're like, uh-huh. no human tendency is to take, to get an inch and take a mile. And so he's reminding them of the freedom that they have in Christ. And he says specifically in verse 13, he says, or you were called to freedom, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. Mm. And I don't think it's incidental that the passage, the specific verses on the fruit of the spirit start with love, because Hmm. that love of service is what freedom looks like. I think we forget this so often that Christ has set us free, but not to do whatever we want, not Uh to influence the lust of the flesh. It's not now I have this grace card to do whatever I want. I live according to my sin impulses because I know I have forgiveness in Christ. No, it's not that at all. It's now you are free. What does freedom look like? Use this opportunity through love to serve one another. What does this look like? It looks like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's basically saying, you know, you want freedom. You have freedom in Christ. This is what it looks like. It's freedom to serve through love. And I think when we think about, you know, I really want to work on gentleness, which I think is a Mm -hmm. really good thing. Like, The Lord partners with our wills to conform us to the image of Christ. So we do want to partner in the work of sanctification that God is doing. But sometimes I think when we sit in our quiet times, we say, okay, today I'm going to be more (laughs) self-controlled. We set ourselves up for such failure because what we're not doing is saying, Lord, I do not have self-control, but you are a God of self-control. So fill me with your spirit. Give me Mm -hmm. the ability by your spirit to know when I'm not being self-controlled and the ability to exercise self-control as it mirrors your character. And so you going to the sink and saying, here's an opportunity to serve, that is by the spirit. That's what Mm. freedom is like. And you experience that. Like probably on the other side of that experience, you'd be like, 
yeah, freedom from this would mean Brooks puts his glass in the dishwasher. Like Mm -hmm. that's what freedom should look like. That's what it could look like. But instead you experience the joy and true freedom of saying, I get to serve with joy and without the begrudging, nagging, you know, bearing down sense that I get in my spirit mm-hmm. when I'm just afraid that my spouse hasn't done something totally. the way I want them to do it. That's true freedom. And so I think that is the experience of living life in the spirit. I just think it's so cool to think about these verses in terms of living out our freedom that we've experienced in Christ. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to address before we move on is, you know, in this series, we're planning on looking at each one of the fruit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience with all different guests. So what is what would you exhort us to as we're looking at these? Um, you mentioned, again, that one of the dangers of of approaching this passage and looking at the fruits in isolation is that we're trying to appropriate them individually. So how would you encourage us to listen through each one of these episodes in this series as we are looking at each one of these different attributes? I think that as we look at each attribute, what we're doing is fixing our eyes on the God who is the source of those attributes. And as we fix our eyes on that God we are going to desire him more deeply as we know him more fully. And as we desire him more deeply, we'll be drawn naturally as worshipers. We're drawn Uh into um, a spiritual, mental posture of saying, Lord, make me like you. I think Uh one of the easiest things to do is to look at the text and say, okay, I'm going to focus on love. Or I'm going to focus Uh on joy or on peace. But instead, what we want to do is focus on the God who is love, the God who is joy and who Uh. is, as we fix our eyes on him, we are going to be captivated by his character. And as we fall down before him in worship, you know, the more we know of God, the more we should respond in worship because our knowledge of God or our theology should always lead to our worship of God. Always. Those things should always be linked in our spirits. And so as we fall down before him in worship, we're going to say, make me like you. And here we can read in Galatians 5, his generous excited, yes, I will make you more like myself by the Spirit. So Mm -hmm. as we listen to each one, what we're not necessarily doing is saying, hey, let's parse out what love is and then just try really hard to exhibit loving traits. What we're doing is saying we're looking at the God who is love. And that is an endless conversation. Like what a cool thing to be able to explore the Godhead who holds these attributes within himself and say, make me more like you. How does the Spirit help us do that? How does the Spirit help us mirror the character of God? Well, the main role of the Spirit that we see throughout the Scriptures is that the Spirit unites us to the person of Christ through faith and in salvation. And so as we are positionally in Christ, enjoying all the benefits of being found in Christ, we can stand before God unashamed because Um, We are positionally in Christ, but as the Spirit unites us to Christ, He is actually making us more like Christ, sort of like my example of living with my husband. I have all the benefits of being Austin's wife, but I also experience all the unseen ways that he has changed my behavior and has changed my habits and changed my thinking. Um, Even now, we're in the process of um, purchasing a home and you know, doing work and redecorating and all of those sorts of things. And it's amazing. It's amazing to me how 
we have never talked about these things, but we have the same tastes and we have the same approach to financial decisions. Why? Because we've done this. Just We haven't done this specifically, but we've made decisions together before and we've talked about um, couches that we like and paint colors that we like. You know, we've talked about these things before. And so we have sort of gotten on the same page over time. And I think that is sort of, again, a small, incomplete, imperfect picture. That's sort of how the spirit works in our life as he positionally unites us to the person of Christ. Over time, he warms us through and makes us like a father into whose family we've been adopted. And so the spirit, I mean, we it's easy for us to look at these attributes as something that we um, just need to respond in obedience to, and don't get me wrong, we do need to respond in obedience to God's call and his word to emulate these traits, but it really is an invitation to look more and more like our loving father. I don't know if you've had a lot of friends that adopt, but I've had a couple of friends that have adopted. Um, and one in particular comes to mind, a family that adopted a child from a third world country. And she said it was really hard at the beginning because she had all these assumptions about how this child would interact with her as her adoptive mother. And she said she constantly had to tell this child when she would notice that the child was demanding food or getting really fearful or getting really irritated, she would have to remind her of things like, you will never be without food in this home. Mm, You will always uh have here. The things that you almost think you wouldn't have to say to a child, she really had to say over and over. And it was such a visual picture to her. And I think a visual picture to us that we have to relearn what it looks like to live in a new family. And that's what the spirit's doing. The spirit has united us to Christ, which causes us to be adopted into God's family. But we're learning how Mm -hmm. to live as members of that household and according to that household code. And that's what the spirit is doing. He is causing us to fix our eyes on Christ, that we might be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, that we might be adopted children, sons and daughters of God, who look like the household of faith that look like what he imagines his church to be and how the church will be as his bride in the final days. So I think that is the beautiful role of the spirit that we see throughout the new Testament. We see this teaching on the spirit and throughout the old Testament. We can't forget how the spirit did this in the life of believers throughout the old Testament as well. But the spirit is constantly constantly bringing us closer to God by making us members of his family and also teaching us how to live according to that family of faith. Mm-hmm. I think listeners, if they're like me, are just thinking, man, I want to do that. I want to follow Paul's exhortation to keep in step with the spirit. Like in context, it reads, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So What's the difference between keeping in step with the spirit, like he mentions, versus trying to do this in and of our own strength? Hmm. Well, Paul gives us actually a really visual picture here in Galatians chapter 5 of what it looks like to do effort in our flesh and what it looks like to live life according to the spirit. Um, We so often focus on um, 22 and 23, which are the verses on the fruit Mm -hmm. of the spirit. Just before that, he's given this list of things that result when we do life according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And Ain't nobody memorizing that part. That's right. You don't, <laughs> you don't put this on flashcards for kids, yo. Like, there is a reason that we are like, ah, 22 and 23 are all right, you know. But verse 19 says, you know, just before this, it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. 
They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, or in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is, and it goes into that list of attributes that belong to God. And so Paul is giving us a really visual picture. You want to do life on your own according to the flesh. This is what it's going to look like. These are the impulses that come from the fallen nature. But as you live your life according to the Spirit of God and according to the gospel, these are the fruit that fruits that will be born in your life. You will bear this fruit of righteousness. So I think one of the ways that we see this play out on our daily basis, because this is sort of the biblical teaching on it, right? This is sort of the theology behind it all. But we, if that doesn't meet us in today, mm-hmm. if that doesn't meet us like at the kitchen sink, like how, how are we going to find it? How is it going to find its feet in our lives? But I think the way we keep in step with the spirit is by putting reminders in front of ourselves that the spirit dwells in us and is our helper to make us more like Christ. So we remind ourselves that we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot look more like Christ in our own Mm -hmm. strength. So when we feel that nagging sense of guilt that we have not done well, when we have had an outburst of anger, according to the flesh, like Paul names that, when we've had an outburst of anger at our kids because... You know, we told them to pick up the living room and we walk back in and they still haven't picked up the living room and we've had this outburst of anger and we know we've lived according to the flesh. When we walk back into the kitchen and we have that feeling in our gut of guilt that we are not good enough, we want to embrace that feeling as a reminder Uh that we need the Lord, that no, we're not good in our flesh, that we cannot do this on our own. And we can invite the spirit and say, forgive me and help me, help me to exhibit gentleness. So I think it's so cool to compare and contrast these two lists because I think Mm -hmm. they actually identify some contrary things. So you see things like sensuality Mm -hmm. versus self-control. You see things like outbursts of anger versus peace. You see things like enmity and strife and jealousy instead of gentleness. Like all of these Mm -hmm. things kind of pair together in a really um, cool contrasting way. And so when we've lived into the works of the flesh, we can use that conviction of the spirit to remind us that we rely on Christ and invite him to do a sanctifying work in our hearts. I think praying constantly throughout our day, Mm -hmm. Lord, I do not have the ability. Mm. I do not have the strength to do this, but I need you to do it in me. We'll be amazed at the times that God does that, that he really shows up in our lives to make us more like him. Because You know, the scriptures tell us often that if we pray according to the will of God, that we will see the Lord respond in amazing ways. And a lot of times we're like, what is the will of God? Like, how do I know I'm praying the will of God? Well, when you're praying these things, you know you're praying the will of God. Like, you Uh know that you're praying the delight and desire of God. He delights in giving us a big, emphatic yes, God says in his word. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. Like, this is his will. It is this specific thing. We can know that God wants to transform us more and more into his likeness. So we can pray constantly throughout our day, Uh consistently throughout our day, Lord, make me more like you. And he delights in doing that. I think Abby Wentworth shared this with me not too long ago, but she was saying when she approaches her kids, she says, you know, in correction or discipline or even just asking them to do 
thing. She says, you know, I don't expect you to do this on your own. I, you know, I know you need the help of um, God to be able to obey your mom. And so let's pray that he helps you. And then when she is struggling to be patient, she'll say, I am struggling to be patient. And I know that I need God's help to be patient right now. So let's pray and ask God to help me. I think those are such practical ways that we can see that play out in our daily lives. I think sometimes we have those moments where we're like, bless the Lord, we're standing at the kitchen sink and we realize, oh, I just put the dish in the dishwasher without any grumbling or complaining, like, praise God, I see evidence of the Spirit working in my life. And then there are days, especially in the context of motherhood for me, where there are things on this list that I relate to more than like, bless the Lord, I just served out of selflessness. You know, like I see fits of anger, I see envy, you know, I see strife, like, you know, coming out of me. And so I guess my question is like, what would your encouragement be if you're having a day where, or maybe it's a season or maybe you just are like, man, I I see a lot more on this list that characterizes walking in the flesh or works of the flesh than I do in my own life, than than I do the fruit of the spirit. Uh, What would your encouragement be? Hmm. I think that's probably most of us that if we take a real honest inventory of our lives, we're going to see more fruit of the flesh than we see fruit of the spirit most times. And I think that's just being more honest. Um, when we say, yeah, I'm probably like 60% spirit, 40% flesh now. Like I think we're not giving ourselves, <laughs> giving ourselves a little too much credit. <laughs> um, so I think that's most of us when we look really honestly at our lives. So I would have two encouragements. One is to let that sense be your reminder of the gospel. One, that you are forgiven, that you're positionally righteous in Christ. And two, that you have the indwelling of the spirit to continue conforming you. Um, There is an old, old Shane and Shane song that I just really love. And it's talking about the accusations of the enemy. And um, he kind of goes through in one of the verses, this list of accusations that the enemy is throwing at him. And he just says, you know, you're right. Like he's right. But that is the reminder of my redemption. Like that, Mm. the fact that I am a sinner reminds me that a savior came to save me. So let's let that sense of guilt push us into gratitude for the gospel and reliance on Christ. Um, But I think the other thing that is helpful when we see this contrast of sin and fruit in our lives, I think one of the things that can be helpful, we have to sort of navigate this with wisdom. But one of the things that can be helpful is seeing the ways that God has grown you in these ways. I think it's a really Mm. beneficial question to ask ourselves, you know, even once a year, how has God grown me in this last year? Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, I got so much better this year. That's not the goal of that. Mm -hmm. But to say, Lord, thank you. You are at Mm -hmm. work in my life. You really are working. And I think if we stop and ask that question, we're going to see ourselves, sin still being in our lives as it may, we're going to see the ways that God has grown us and we can give him proper praise for that um, and be encouraged in our walk. Like, I, I think one of the things, this is a little bit of a tangent, but one of the things that I'm burdened for in the Christian church is this sense that Um, sin is so overwhelming and so present in our lives that it 
um, ne- that certain sins never die. And we have this sense that like, well, these sins will always be with me and they push me on God's grace. And, I, you know, and I think there's some truth in saying there are things that I struggle with that are a part of my past or a part of, um, you know, even like family systems of sin. Um, those can be really hard to say, well, that's just totally done and over with when we live in kind of cycles um, in our, when our environment has some environments of sin. But one of the good truths of the gospel is that sin does die in the presence of Christ and by the power of the spirit, sin does die. And so as we take inventory of our lives and say, how has God changed me? We're actually going to see sin dying and Christ increasing. Mm -hmm. And that is something that only God can do. It's going to make our view of him bigger. I don't know if you've seen this. I wish I could like kind of illustrate it. You know, it's audio makes it hard to (laughs) to illustrate. Uh There's this graph that I saw or a diagram one time that I saw that had, you know, this, um, it was a picture of a cross and the downward pointing, like on the vertical piece of the cross, the downward pointing arrow said my understanding of my sin and the upward arrow of the vertical piece said the glory of Christ, like my high view of Christ. And as we have a greater view of our sin and as we ha- we will have a greater view mm-hmm. of God in our life and just means the cross mm-hmm. gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's points us, that just points us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking with somebody about this, something really similar. And she was saying how much she wants to be free from her self-obsession. And as a sister, I was able to say, you know what? Yes, I hear you in this, but let's look back at a year ago and let's look at where you were a year ago. Cause I was walking through this with you and you are, look at where the spirits brought you from a year ago. Like it's, it's really difficult to see that sometimes when you're looking at each tree, but when you kind of zoom out, like you said, and I think often that's what the body of Christ can do for us in the context of community to come alongside each other when we're struggling to remember the way in which God has been faithful to us in times past and to say, no, 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 remember, remember this, like, look at how he's worked and then let's bless the Lord together as a result of what he's done. Like that's a sincere encouragement. As we're walking alongside others uh, in discipleship relationships, maybe like I just described, what are some helpful ways that we can talk about the fruit of the spirit? What are some things that we should be aware of? I think a lot of this has already become evident through our conversation, but do you have anything to add? Um, I think just the last thing that I would add on there is the value of seeing Christ likeness as something that will point it's it's our main missional occupation. Yeah. You know, Christ likeness, our love for other believers is going to be our main way of testifying to God's grace in our lives. And um I think that a lot of times we think about our own sanctification very personally, which it is. It's a very personal process. But God's not just making us more like himself for the sake of ourselves. Hmm. He's making us more, more like himself for the sake of his glory, yeah. for the sake of our good, and also that the world might know him. So mm-hmm. I would just I would just add that reminder that this is how, as we mm-hmm. walk in the Spirit, as we don't walk according to the flesh, as we fix our eyes on the God who is the owner of these attributes, that we would... We will be a standing witness of God's mm-hmm. grace. I had somebody recently use the phrase that we are trophies of his grace. You know, we just we're giving God so much honor because we are showing his mighty power. And mm-hmm. so I think it's important to remember that he's going to be glorified in the lives of even 
unbelievers are going to see his character and power as we live our lives according to the Spirit. Hunter, did you use that phrase with me recently, trophies of his grace? I'm not that smart. Oh, no. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I thought maybe Hunter told me this, I couldn't remember who said it. No. It's uh, like something you <laughs> well, I am super encouraged. Do you have any other encouragements for us as we embark upon learning about the fruit of the Spirit? Do you have any resources that you'd recommend uh, for us if we're wanting to supplement what we are learning as we listen to the exhortations of other guests coming on the show this season? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of good resources on the fruit of the Spirit. And I, my encouragement would just be to, um, as you study each attribute, if somebody wants to sort of do Bible study alongside this, like if somebody wants to study these traits as they listen to each um, episode of the podcast, which I think would be so fruitful, I think one of my encouragements would be to do a word study, like a study the word love. Look at the places in the Old Testament and the New Testament where that word, which the Greek word used here in Galatians 5 is agape, which is pure, unadulterated love. So look at the places that um, that word is used throughout the scriptures and see how it points you to God's character. A free resource that you can use to do word searches is biblehub.com. I love using it. If you look up a passage and look at it in the interlinear, which is um, just abbreviated INT at the top of the page, if you click on that, it's going to show you the Greek word for each English word. And you can click on the Greek word and it's going to show, show you all the different places in scripture that it's used. It's just basically a digital Strong's concordance. So it's super easy to use. But if somebody wants to see you know, okay, as we're looking at the God who is love, who is he? Who has he revealed himself to be? I think that could just be such a cool study. Oh, yeah. That is just really exciting to think about. I know. Doesn't it make you excited to get into the word? I mean, Mm -hmm. I love word studies. I like kind of that nerdy stuff, like the mapping it out and stuff. So I just think that would be so fun. The other resource that I love is Luther actually has a commentary on Galatians. Oh, and it's really good. It's really, you can probably get it for free too, right? Like a lot of Luther's studies are free. At least most of it. I've seen most of it online for free. So that is a really fun resource. If you kind of want to say, how has this been viewed throughout church history? How have we understood this? Because Luther, we have to remember, is writing at a super unique time in church history. I mean, he's writing at the time when. Uh, they've just pulled away from the Catholic Church, which also had some of those strains of legalism that we see Paul addressing mm-hmm. in the Galatian Church. So he's writing at a unique time, so his perspective is really interesting. Yeah, that um, is but good. a much more accessible commentary is Tim Keller's Galatians for You. Oh, yes. You series? No, I haven't. I love Tim Keller, though. I'll have to check this out. So he does like little, they're very accessible. So they kind of, if if you can think of like a devotional and a commentary having a baby, so it <laughs> reads really but it's really good commentary on each of the different passages. So that's super accessible. Luther, a little less accessible, but mm-hmm. this Relations for You, really, really accessible. And then I also love even making it a little bit more accessible. I did this when I this study when I was in college, but Living Beyond Yourself is Beth Moore's study on the fruit of the spirit. And it does what I mentioned. It looks at passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament for each of those Greek words 
on the fruit of the spirit. So it's a really, it's a really good study. I really enjoyed that one. Oh, that's awesome. And we'll be sure to link to your tiny theologian cards on the fruit of the spirit. Those are super helpful. They're really beautiful too. So I'll show you guys some of these resources this week on social media. If you want to give us a follow at Journey Women Podcast. Amy, since you have been on the guest before, I am changing up my traditional questions at the end. And instead of asking you about your simple joys, which you can go back and access in the Why Women Need Theology episode, I want to hear what piece of advice would you give your 25-year-old self? That's not that long ago for you. <laughs> it's, not, it's five years. <laughs> but to be fair, the Lord has grown me up a lot in the last five years. So honestly, I was thinking, where was I when I was 25? And Austin and I were living, we were, we we're in our first year of living in Colorado post-seminary and life was a struggle. So when I thought about this season, I just, it brings tears to my eyes to think about all that God did in that season of life. But the advice that I would give myself is that nothing that God asks of us is ever wasted. It's always best kept in his hands. Um, That was a season in which God really asked me to give up some of my dreams and um, some of the things that I really even felt called to. He was, it seemed he was closing the door to them at that time. And really what he was saying was not now, Mm. but I felt the pain of um, the divine no in that season, you know, wanting to step Mm. into being a Bible teacher, wanting to write studies, and just feeling like the Lord was saying, this is not the season for that. Um, And there were open doors, there were publishers that were emailing me, you know, there were open doors that I just felt that as I prayed about it before the Lord and discerned it in his presence, the answer was no for right now. And that was so painful. I mean, I went through a fitful season of walking with the Lord, because of that, but good gracious, the Lord has taken everything that I handed over to him and used it, mm. multiplied it tenfold, yeah. so much better than I ever could have made it. And so even now, as I face the divine knowing different areas of my mm. life, I want to be a person who says it's always better in his hands. Whatever he asks of me, I'll say yes, because he is going to make it much more fruitful than I ever could. I think we could do a whole podcast on that. Girl, we could. There's a lot there. I always <laughs> say his ways are higher than my ways because that is something I think I learned as a 25-year-old too, maybe a bit younger than that, and I'm still learning it. But that's a huge encouragement. I know that'll really encourage a lot of women who are walking through similar seasons. What's something that you're looking forward to in your upcoming seasons and your journey with Jesus, maybe in the near future? And it could also be uh, in the long term, whatever you wherever you want to take it. Well, can I say two things? Please. That cheating. A no, little bit. absolutely. Okay. I think two things come to mind most readily. And the first is sort of just really, really simple. But Austin and I are buying our first home. Yes. And we have wanted to own a home for a very long time. Uh, we're, we are homebodies by personality, by nature and stuff like that. And so we have just really wanted this and desired this, but this is the first season that the Lord's kind of called us to put down roots as we plant a church. Mm-hmm. And so it is such a joy. And I am just looking forward to the Lord using this home to be a place of ministry. And I know mm. that's really, it seems maybe a little too abstract even, but like I love having people around my table and saying, before we eat, let's read a psalm. Or before we do the dishes, let's just ask how we can pray for each other. And I love, 
I love evangelism and I love having evangelistic conversations with people around my dinner table. There are a few things that I love more than feeding somebody's body and then also feeding their soul. And so I just am so looking forward to the Lord's blessed us with this house. It feels like such an abundant gift. And I just think I so look forward to the Lord using this place as a place of ministry that we've longed to have. So I'm really looking forward to that season. The second thing is, though, as we are church planting and I have different writing projects going on right now and Tiny Theologians continues to be a joy and it continues to grow in a really fun way. Like as I look at these things, it's easy for me to think I just can't do it. Like I just can't do all the things uh-huh. all at the same time. And that is true. Like, I just can't. But the cool thing about doing all these things at the same time, particularly planting a church, is I am so keenly aware that this is something I cannot do in my own power. Mm. There is absolutely no way, no how, absolutely Mm -hmm. not that I could do this. Austin and I can't grow a church. We can't build a church. We can't expand God's kingdom in our own power. And so we have been so reminded only God could do this. He is building his kingdom brick by brick. And we just get to show up and be a part of what he's doing. And I am so excited for all the things that God's going to do this year that only he could do being reminded, like only God can do this. Um, Cause in the theology world, like it can, you know, as I study and write theologically, it can be really easy for me to think, wow, if I just study enough, think hard enough, articulate that clearly enough, you know, I kind of can pat myself on the back and be like, oh, you know, we did a good thing today. But the reality is, is when you come up against these things that God has called us to, we can't do them. And so I'm really excited to see all the ways that God's just going to move that we are going to stand back and say, we didn't do that. That was just the power of God. So I'm very, very excited for that in the next season and throughout our lives. But I'm really excited for that in this next, you know, five to 10 years of church planting. I think that is going to be really sweet. Mm, Amen and amen. I know everybody feels the same way that I do. They just want to follow along. So you can find all the information about Amy and how you can do that in the show notes. Amy, I love you, friends. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom with us today. I'm so encouraged. I'm exhorted. I'm challenged. Uh, I'm blessing the Lord. And I'm just so grateful. You're so sweet. I can't wait to listen to all the teachers who are going to teach us about the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to so be fun. The series to start. <laughs> well, thanks for the inspiration. You guys, thank you so much for joining us for another rich season of the Journey Women podcast. I have personally already learned so much from recording with guests like Johnny Erickson Tata, David Platt, Jen Oshman, and more. We cannot wait to share the rest of the lineup with you guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And give us a follow on social media if you want to continue processing these things throughout the week. You can find us pretty much everywhere at Journey Women Podcast. So you know this episode was edited by Chris Mann and the Pod Shaper team. Hey, it's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.